Jimmy Deans. That's the wrong one. That's the restaurant. Jimmy Deans is the the uh, the little the little sandwiches. It doesn't matter. They're not real. I mean, they're real. It exists. They're just not an actual sponsor. Presents the yearbook. Internet Sportscast says in the yearbook at Hotmail.com. You don't have to be a nurse or flight attendant to contact us. This podcast is for nurses and flight attendants. Women's lacrosse. It's lacrosse season. Winter's over. Several months ago, Boston College signed an equipment deal with Gate Lacrosse. So Gate Lacrosse is the official equipment provider to the Boston College Eagles. Gate Lacrosse is partly run by Gary Gate, arguably the greatest college lacrosse player who ever lived. Gary Gate is now the head women's lacrosse coach at Syracuse, which is one of Boston College's biggest rivals in the ACC. This conflict of interest thing involving gear, it is not new at all and includes anecdotes like this. In 1992, Reebok made the official award ceremony uniform of Team USA, but the Olympic men's basketball players involved with Nike either unzipped the jackets so you couldn't see the Reebok logo or covered the Reebok logo with American flags. This has been going on for so long, it's completely forgotten about and not controversial. Anyway, Syracuse and Boston College, provided there's no the COVID, will be meeting twice this season, right at the end of the regular season. Syracuse will also be playing Louisville twice and Loyola once, Both of those schools are also gate lacrosse clients. It's just funny, that's all. It's just funny that the Syracuse lacrosse players are coached by the guy who's providing their opponents with the gear necessary to defeat Syracuse. They could be defeated by sticks with their own coach's name on them. And Boston College and Louisville must train to hate Syracuse and pummel Syracuse into submission if they want to succeed, all while gearing up with Syracuse-related equipment. After a loss, if they do lose this season, after a loss, one of the Syracuse players is absolutely going to make some crack about starting to hate their coach's last name. This debate, if you actually want to debate it, actually begins uh, tomorrow. When Gary Gate coaches one team while giving the winning edge to both teams when Syracuse visits Loyola in Baltimore. Well, no sooner do we say, why can't HBO's Real Sports, their national show that does sports stories that don't normally see the light of day, why can't Real Sports do a segment on IndyCar? And then IndyCar shows up on a national segment of PBS's Nova. That was not planned. On our part, I had no idea that was happening, literally happening while we were taping this podcast. IndyCar showed up on Nova last week, check your local listings, as part of a larger story on the science of tires and rubber. Uh, Mario Andretti and Firestone's tire guru were the ones that were featured, but others got some publicity out of it as well. Watch for a video of Zach Veach, who's no longer in the series, and also Pippa Mann's image. Now, whether or not literally a couple of seconds of airtime helps Pippa Man or not, she absolutely deserves 
that publicity. Without a full-time team, uh, she runs the Indy 500 every year, which requires a full year's worth of work to do. And as she's sweating out qualifying for the race and prepping the car, she's also in charge of hospitality for her sponsors and fans, for giving tours, for merchandise, for media, and anything else I forgot. She would also probably be a bigger story if she were the first at anything, which is not a complaint. It's just an unfortunate circumstance that man had nothing to do with. Overseas, Pippa Man is the first. In 2011, she became the first English woman to ever start the Indy 500. Unfortunately for her feel-good story prospects and appeal, overall, she's the eighth woman to run the Indy 500. So Janet Guthrie already took care of being the first long ago. Uh, more than a decade later, Lynn St. James proved it could be done again, and she ran the race for most of a decade. And then Danica Patrick captured the public's attention in 2005, and she became the biggest mainstream star. But Pippa Mann's no slouch, which is really completely the wrong term because it's exceedingly difficult to be a slouch and still qualify for the 500. Anyway, beginning in 2011, Mann has now been in the 500 seven times. That's tied with Lynn St. James and more starts than Guthrie. Uh, Mann trails only Dedica Patrick with eight appearances and Sarah Fisher, who in the 2000s, uh, she got some exposure as well. Sarah Fisher has nine appearances. Pippa Mann is also the only woman still driving in IndyCar. Uh, Danica Patrick had a one-off appearance in 2018 before she retired. You might recall that. But the last time Mann had consistent female company in the Indy 500 field was 2015. The last time it was Pippa Mann and two other women in the field was 2013. But when Mann qualified in 2016, 17, and 19, the pandemic washed out her team last year, she was the only woman on the track. And no, we're not avoiding the results. Pippa Mann has not come close to winning. And winning is nearly impossible with a no-budget team. But she's absolutely proved that she belongs in the field. Just ask her rival team's race engineer husband, who thought his wife was putting her life in danger by driving an unprepared car to qualify in 2018. Essentially, man's average finish at the 33-car 500 has been in the 20s, but she has had a serious upswing. She finished 30th in 2013, 24th in 2014, then 22nd, 18th, 17th, missed 2018, and then 16th in 2019. She could also argue she's best in-house. She beat two of her husband's team's three drivers in 2017, and she beat three out of her husband's team's four drivers in 2019. She hasn't won, which would change things immediately. But Pippa Mann's been competitive. She's currently the last woman left. And Janet Guthrie, Lynn St. James, Danica Patrick, and Sarah Fisher, and to an extent, Simona Silvestro, all got exposure. But exposure has completely avoided Pippa Mann for the last decade. Back to the PBS Nova story. Uh, I don't want to ruin any of it, but there was one segment. Nova smartly left in a segment where they tried to interview Firestone's tire guru, Trackside. It didn't work. And that's funny. I also think we maybe, possibly, perhaps seriously, after like two or three hours of watching it over and over, I think we maybe, possibly, perhaps identified two of the drivers who interrupted her. We're going with uh, Kyle Kaiser and Ryan hunter Ray. Thanks for listening. You can find this places. 
the same goes for me, your host, Doug. Gus Malzahn is back where it all began to end. The former Auburn football coach was recently hired as head coach by Central Florida. We stick by what we originally said, which is big picture, Gus Malzahn won. When he first arrived from high school head coach to Arkansas assistant, there was a lot of skepticism that any quarterback could survive running around in his crazy high school formations in the SEC. But it worked. Running that very offense, Malzahn won a national title as an Auburn assistant. He had Auburn in the national title game as head coach. And now Alabama and other SEC teams are running Malzahn's offense. And NFL teams are running his plays and his offenses. Part of the problem might have been Malzahn took Auburn to that national championship game in his very first season as head coach. So every one of his follow-up seasons came up short of that. Another problem, though, might have been 2017. After three middling years, Auburn rebounded big time in 2017 with a a close loss to Clemson and a close loss at LSU, the only blemishes on the regular season. The Tigers even beat number one Alabama to finish at 10-2. Then came the beatdown in the SEC championship game to Georgia, which put Malzahn and Auburn in the unwinnable position of playing in the Peach Bowl against Central Florida. On the UCF side, that UCF team seemed good enough to actually win a national championship. On the Auburn side, no matter how national championship caliber the Knights were, Auburn could not end a dream season by putting themselves in a position to play UCF and then lose to UCF. Losing that game was unforgivable. The suddenly vulnerable Tigers did lose a very tight game to UCF by seven. And just over three years later, Auburn's Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean are winning Super Bowl rings and Auburn's Gus Malzahn is coaching at UCF. It's not that Malzahn's job was on the line that day against Central Florida, win or else. It's that the fan base, I think, was hoping the Tigers would recover and go on an Alabama or Clemson-like run right to the top. In 2017, it looked that way for a while, but then Auburn lost its way into a matchup that cast Auburn as the bad guy, and Auburn then went out and officially certified UCF as America's Sweethearts by losing. The scenario was kind of similar again in 2019. Uh, the Tigers started 5-0. and Then came a close loss to Florida. Okay. Then a close loss to LSU. Okay. Then a close loss to Georgia. Okay. And then a loss to Minnesota in the Outback Bowl. I'm not sure Malzahn should have been fired from Auburn. He didn't figure out Alabama, but no one has figured out Alabama. But he didn't figure out Alabama, but he did decently against Alabama. I have no doubt Malzahn will succeed at UCF, and he should absolutely have the Knights right back in a New Year's Day bowl game against some unfortunate big-time team needing to save its season by playing a damned-if-you-do, damned-if-you-don't game against a Cinderella. (laughs) 